So I was thinking, um, true confession. This is a big moment, not just for Parker Ford Church. It's a big moment for the Bitework family, you know. We've changed a lot of things about our life in this year. Shelby stepped out of her job, and we've been just going, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And we've we spent a lot of time just asking. And last night, we have a prayer room in Pottstown that some of us have put together, and it's invited all sorts of people from, especially King Street. It just so happens that people on King Street come to this this thing, and we pray there. And we've had days of prayer there. Prayer there. We've had nights of prayer. We've had, and, and every other Monday we meet with, with ministry leaders, and it's been great. Sherry Vizekas is a part of that, along with a bunch of other folks, um, many of whom, Elsie Flynn, I don't see Elsie this morning, but a couple of them go to Parker Ford, and a bunch of others don't. But last night I was like, okay, God, I, I got to meet with the Lord, you know? So I, I went down there to the prayer room, and I just turned down the light, and I honestly laid down in front of God. I just put a pillow on the floor and just started to cry out before the Lord and said, okay, Lord, what what do you want this to look like? Okay, I, I know we've gotten the PowerPoints built. I know we have the plans in place. I know we've hired a consultant, and we've worked with him faithfully, and God's doing great things. So what is the picture? And one of the things that I think is really just important is to find yourself in the Scripture. And I thought about how, you know, what sort of picture it, I, I see myself facing. What storyline do I see myself and our church in? And I, I've had this kind of going back and forth in my head for a long time. This is the Red Sea. Do you see that? It's You can see a buoy on the left-hand side, which means this picture was not taken 3,400 years ago when Moses parted the Red Sea. This is not an actual authentic picture. It's actually, you know, something a little bit newer. I think Shelby built it about Thursday. <laughs> but I was th- picturing ourselves in the Red Sea last night as I was praying, and I was really beat just tired and crying out before the Lord. And I I ended up waking up after a while, you know, one of those moments where I got to the place where I prayed so hard, I found rest. And I thought about that because we're talking about a sabbatical rest and the word Sabbath has to do with rest. And we talk all the time at Parker Ford Church about the fact that if our souls and our spirits don't get to a place of rest, something weird happens. We tend to accomplish the purposes of God without the power of God. That is what a lack of rest does in our hearts. And I I just kind of feel like in some respects over the last few years, we've run and I've run. And sometimes I've hurried and sometimes I've hurt people as I've hurried. That's what happens to my children, I know. You know, when you start moving too quick, things get going. And and now it's almost like we're we're asking, God, please help us to settle down. And if you hear something in this this passage or in this morning, hear that. The Red Sea is a moment, interestingly, where the people of Israel settle down. That sounds funny. But, you know, when you go to battle, when you go to war, what you don't do is you don't settle down and get restful, right? I remember when I was a young boy, I was staying over at a friend's house, and we were playing Nintendo, and we were up late at night. And then the, the, my friend's dad came downstairs. We were in the basement, and he said, hey, we just started, uh, or Iraq just started to send these things called Scud missiles at Israel. And they're launching these missiles across the Middle East. And they were landing over there. And all of a sudden, it was amazing, the rest that left our hearts. And I think it was about ninth grade when that happened, maybe eighth grade. And I remember going, Wow. Our world is at war. And, you know, we started to mobilize as a country. And some of you remember that. It was just this incredible moment of lack of rest. The interesting thing about God in the times when his people faced these sorts of battles is he calls them, don't go fight the battle. Stop and rest. So I want to tell you just a little bit about what that means. There's this famous line, and we want, I want to talk about it. It'll be the most important if it works. 
It, it's one of the most important lines in the Bible. You've heard this, right? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by... This is one of those you've got to know. This is, this is such an important line. So I know, I know you know it, but you, you, you weren't quite quick enough on the uptake. For by... You have been saved through... And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Amen, right? Amen. And that's the work or the words that, G, that Paul kind of assigns to Jesus. He says that it is the grace of God through Jesus the Christ on the cross and in the resurrection that saved mankind. And then when we have faith to hear that, understand it, and believe it, something changes in our souls and we receive. We don't work at it because we can't boast. It's not going to work out if we do. We receive salvation. It's a received thing. But that's not the only time that grace and faith work this way. Frankly, all of those battles in the Old Testament, all the moments when people of God have listened to God and seriously taken him at his word, they have listened and become restful. They have listened and become faith-filled and grace-filled. And that is how they were called to fight the battle. For instance, I don't remember General uh, Schwarzkopf. Do you remember him? Storm and Norman. Wasn't it? Charlie, is that right? I got, the, I got the guy's name correct. Yeah. I don't remember him walking around uh, Baghdad in order to conquer it. But when Joshua is called to conquer Jericho, you can, you can, you can sing the song in your head, right? Joshua. It's not fought. It's fit. He fit, right? Somebody saying that to me this week. You got you to gotta get that verb really, that, that old English. Joshua fought the battle, fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. And how did he fight it? I, I would love to see battles be fought that way. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Instead of weapons being launched across the Middle East, instead these guys walked around the city and the city caved in. And the people of Israel are called to this amazing moment where they're called to leave Egypt and they travel across the ancient world and they get to the Red Sea. And then look, look at this passage with me just for a second because I think it has something to say to us. This is the beginning of Exodus 14, which is the Red Sea passage. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of... And can you say that word for me? Because it's really hard to pronounce. I think it's Pi-Ahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. It's really important to the people of the ancient world that they hear those little words. It's like saying, make sure you go back. You're at Phoenixville. You need to go back to about Spring City. That's what he's saying, okay? You're over here. Now, no, no, you're making progress. That sounds good. It looks like a good way to get to Israel. But come back and go to this other place. True confession, we don't know where those places are for sure. What we do know is that the author put them in there so that we know they had to stop and turn back. There was a moment when they were going in a direction that seemed really reasonable, logical, but they had to stop and turn back. And it was interesting because God has a purpose behind this. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, just stop for a second, because if General Schwarzkopf would have been there, any other general as well, they would have said, this is a terrible strategy, because wherever it was, there were mountains on one side and the other, and there was an ocean on the side. They were in a U-shaped box, and they could not escape. God says, go camp in the last place on earth that is defensible. Go hide in that corner in, in, in plain sight and see what Pharaoh will do. And here's why. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. The word wilderness in the Old Testament means away from word and away from thing. It means away from reason. People who were unreasonable lived in the wilderness. 
And it's as though God is saying, well, trick Pharaoh into thinking that you are wandering idiots. You got to laugh a little more at that. That was a line my brother used to use when we were traveling as, as young high school kids and we'd get in our car and we'd drive around West Michigan. We'd go places and we'd always get lost. We got lost again and again. And Dave would look over me and say, it's like we're wandering idiots. Well, that's what God wanted the children of Israel to look like. He said, they're wandering in the land. Pharaoh will think you're wandering in the land and the wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And after those 10 plagues, and if you've read the story, you know what we're talking about there. And after those 10 plagues, he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So they did it. They camped in this place where they literally became bait in a trap. And the children of Israel camped in the last place on earth where they should have camped. They threw away reason. They looked like wandering idiots. And what happened next? You tell me. Pharaoh comes after them, right? And then God tells Moses, put your staff out into the sea and the sea will part and you will cross on dry land. And then mysteriously, the bottom of the Red Sea becomes muddy after the Israelites pass through it. And the Pharaoh's army, they get down in there in the chariots. They have chariots. That's a really big, important statement because nobody had chariots of the ancient world. They were kind of some of the most technologically advanced civilizations around. And they had these chariots, which were really, it was like the newest thing, like the internet. You know what I'm saying? And they had these chariots and the wheels started coming off of their chariots. It's kind of like when your PowerPoint presentation fails. You think you're cool having a great picture as a preacher and then the technology bombs and you're just sitting there with nothing but the Bible. <laughs> and that's what happened to Pharaoh. He found out. He thought he was leading this whole thing. And then he ends up, all of his technology goes the wrong direction and he loses his whole army. And the Israelites pass through on dry land and he gets sodden down and muddy and that's the end. The sea closes on him. And God says, I will have the glory. There's a line over there that says, we exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. It's right past Rick Shaner if you're looking on the wall. Hi, Rick. Good morning. Now everybody's looking at you. Slightly awkward, yeah. I just didn't want them looking at me anymore, so I thought I'd turn them in that direction. So God purposefully does this. And I want you to just think for a second that it is the faith of Israel that they heard God say it. And then it was the empowerment of God that they saw once they listened to God. Think for a second with me what grace and faith look like. These two words that Ephesians 2, 8, 9 are all about. First of all, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's the old King James. Dave, did you hear that? I quoted the old King James. That's the that's the real the 400-old version. Yeah, there it is. And I, I, I quoted it for a reason. That's because they literally translate in the old King James the word substance. Some Bible, verses say, or Bible versions say, now faith is being certain of what we hope for, but that's not actually as deep as that word goes. It says it's a, it's a substance. When you spill oil on your driveway, that's a substance, right? You can't act like it's not there. You wish it wasn't, and you can't get rid of it. You spray it with a hose, and it stays anyway. Faith is actually something that exists in the absence of what God wants to bring into being in his kingdom. So when the third line in the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, faith is this thing that says, this is what God would have if he was in charge. The world is not listening to God yet, and we need to see the difference. And the differential diagnosis between where we are at and where God wishes us to be, that is the substance of faith. 
And faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things that there is no evidence for except for the substance that is faith. Now, you can be an idiot and have faith in all sorts of terrible things, right? That's right. I was, li- I was late, and I looked at my car, and it was on E. This is a few months ago. And I was late picking up Sophie from school, and I thought, I can make it. That last little bit. And I had so much faith. And then I was sitting on the side of Charlotte Street, and my faith drained out from below that car. Like, it didn't matter whether I'd ever had faith at all or not. And I had to make a phone call, and I have friends that are filled with, not faith, but the ability to go get a tank of gas for me. (laughs) Faith in the wrong thing is not faith at all. There's actually a philosophical word for it. It says, fideism. That means that's that idiot who goes to the cliff and says, I'm going to jump off and pray that God would catch me. People do this all the time. I was listening to Larry Burkett. Anybody remember Larry Burkett? He was a financial management expert. He died of cancer a few years back. And I was listening to his show. And this guy called in. He was like a deacon. I picture him being Byron Wanger. And he calls in. And he says, Larry, my pastor has decided that we don't have enough money as a church. <laughs> church after church thinks this, of course. We've all been there. He says, we don't have enough money. And he said, God told him to go to Las Vegas and bet it on one of those tables. And Larry, you could hear the silence on there. Larry Burkett didn't know how to respond. I wouldn't have either. Really? Really? That's what we're going to do? We're going to take it over? But for us, it would be Atlantic City, right? That's only two hours away instead of driving across the whole country. Larry Burkett says, that's the craziest. You need to get rid of your pastor. That's like the first time that's ever been said. So you can be an idiot. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. But then it's going to go on, and Hebrews 11 talks about what God has said. Jericho will fall. The Red Sea will part. God will give you the promised land. God wants to speak and be heard. He wants to reveal himself. He doesn't want the church to be just something that sits a bunch of people in a room thinking, oh, we know what we want. No, no, no. This is about seeking God. The children of Israel in the moment by the Red Sea, by the way, have a moment of crisis. It's a faith crisis. They look at that deep ocean that they're looking on one end and the mountains on the other sides and the most brilliant, most strategically placed, most progressive army in the ancient world than the other. They're boxed in all four ways, and they have to look at God, and there's no choice. And at one point, they look at Moses, as they will do over the next 40 years again and again, and they will say, what sort of idiot did God put in charge of us? And God says, Moses, just hold out your staff, and we'll move forward. So we have to listen to God. Faith is listening for the substance that he speaks into our hearts. It's not just doing whatever comes to mind. It's the, it's the listening to God and developing ears that hear his voice. Paul will write in Ephesians 3, he'll say, I pray that God will open the eyes of your heart. That's a line, isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if the eyes of our heart were open? So faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Grace, on the other hand, is the empowerment by God to accomplish the purposes of God. Grace is the thing that the Christian life is built on. 
It's not just forgiveness, although it does that. God's great power reaches into our lives, and his purpose is that we get forgiven, cleansed, led, moved forward in our personal callings and giftings. He calls us to this. He calls us as a church to this. But it's not just getting back to zero when you're about at minus 10 because you've blown up in your life. I had somebody the other day tell me, they said, I don't think that I'm worthy to join your church. (laughs) And they weren't, I'm pretty sure. I asked them a few questions, and they're not. And then I said, well, you've got to ask me these questions too. And then I had to confess some things. I'm not worthy to be a pastor in this church. I'm not worthy to be a member in this church. I'm not worthy to actually darken the front door of the church, right? It is by grace that we are saved, not because we earned it. It's all about boasting in our hearts and minds if we get on the wrong side of this line. God's grace is the empowerment by God to accomplish the purposes of God. And that means that he takes a Christian when they come to faith and they turn them into something more than what they were. They turn them into somebody forgiven. But that's not the end. God doesn't want us to just get back to zero. He actually wants to launch us. So the children of Israel are free. They're wandering around the wilderness. And God says, it's not enough that you get free from Pharaoh. You need to move forward in my plan for you, becoming my children, becoming what it means to be a people of God that listen to the voice of God. And he leads them to the edge of the Red Sea where they're going to have a gigantic moment of faith conflict, a deep doubt moment, if you will. And he says, let me show you my power in this moment. And if you read the story of Exodus, and then if you just back up and read the story of Joshua and Judges, and then you just keep reading and read the rest of the Bible, you will see moments where God calls people in faith to step into places that don't make sense. And then he says, watch my grace work, right? So faith is him speaking and us listening and our hearts responding. Grace is him empowering us to accomplish his purposes once we step into that faith. We are called to be people of grace and faith. And frankly, these are the two maybe most important words for us, about us in the Bible. This is what's required to walk with God. And so what we're asking is you to consider what that means for us as a church. We're asking, we're in a moment when we're saying, okay, God, your grace, your faith, we want to see it. I want to show a quote. This is Johnny Erickson Tata. I love to quote those ancient, you know I love history, right? You all have heard that, and I love the Old Testament. Johnny Erickson Tata isn't history. She's still alive. Rare moment that I quote that's still breathing. And she, she says, faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. Anybody know what Johnny Erickson looks like? She's not walking this side of heaven, right? Just listen to that quote again when you picture her in her wheelchair. She became a Christian after she hit the bottom of the Chesapeake Bay in a diving accident. And her, her spine was fused and she could never take a step again. And after that, the crisis of faith in her own life leads her to trust in Jesus. And she's famous for saying, I would rather be a Christian and in a wheelchair than being what I was before this accident and be without Jesus. Faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It's simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. The next step that Johnny Erickson will take will be in the presence of God unless something amazing happens. We're called to take next steps, and we're not called to know all of what needs to be. And frankly, I want you to know, true confession, Jay Deering doesn't know all of our next steps. 
and Josh Bightwork doesn't know all of our next steps, and Josh Hostetter or Tim Deering or even our new elders who are wonderful people, our new elder candidates, they don't know all of the next steps for Parker Ford Church. What we feel led to is a next step, and you're hearing that, and it took a bunch of PowerPoint slides to communicate it, but it's actually pretty simple sabbatical, sending, extending, moving our leadership around to do what God's called us to do, to be a better community and to better care for our community, a group of people that God has called together to worship together, that God has put us in a place where we get to take a next step. The step after that, we don't know. Ask me what 2016 looks like. I'm happy to tell you, I don't know. How about 2018 or 20 or 25? God has called us to take the next step. And he has called us to do it in a spirit of rest, understanding that we can't fight, we can't work, we can't get there by efforting ourselves. We have to build a container that can hear his voice and receive his grace-filled power, and we need to watch him step in. To some extent, what you're hearing revealed this morning is because we don't feel like we're operating at full capacity yet. God's pouring out his grace in some ways, but in others we're going, we don't have what it takes to steward his grace. He's doing great work, but we don't have the right wineskins yet. So I'd ask you to pray, and we'll pray in closing to the service, and we'll ask God to bless our church. And then I'm going to ask that you come on the 14th and that you honestly bring your questions. We want to hear them. We want to put them on a whiteboard. We want every question to be heard. And then we want to see them just kind of laid out across. And then we want to pray for a week. And then we'll go back after them over the next five weeks. And we might not get to all of your questions the first by, by the 21st. We might not get to them by the 28th. But what we're hoping is over the next six weeks, God leads us to a place where we can, in faith, hear his voice and we can step into the grace that he wants to pour into our church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Join me in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we give you grace and and we just ask that you hear how much. That word grace means that, that we like you. And you like us. And when you like us, God, it's, it's really something powerful and amazing. Seas part and walls come down and the Son of God dies and then he rises from the dead. That's grace. That's power. That's amazing. But it also means that sometimes we just need to look at you and say, God, we like you and we want more of you. We want this church to not just be filled with good preaching, not just filled with good worship, not just a bunch of committees that work together in some harmonious spirit, but we want to be a place where the supernatural is evident where actually we see God move, where people's lives are changed and transformed and where the region around around us is blessed with leadership and care and where when we pray, we hear your answers to prayer. God, so often in the last few years, we've seen you move when we've asked you to bless us. And we ask that again today, that you bless us with unity, bless us with leadership, Bless Tim as he's away. I know he so wishes to be here this morning. And, and the way our schedules worked, it didn't work out. But, God, we just thank you for him and his heart and his, his amazing gifts of leadership. And we pray that you would bless him where he's at. We pray that you would bless us to be a church that follows you and seeks your face. God, we love you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.